Hi everyone, it's Josh here. I'm here with Jeff and Dawn from Cohesion Press who are based in a really, really interesting building in Beechworth of all places. So how are we going to start with? It's been a pretty big couple of weeks, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, very big couple of weeks since the news broke. Yeah. So we won't dilly-dally too much. We've got a fair bit to talk about today. So Cohesion Press, maybe we for, for those that aren't familiar with it, do we just want to give a little a short chronology of how that came to be, what it is, and then we'll talk about everything that's been happening. We're an Australian small press publisher. We focus in the horror genre initially and then micro-focused into military action-based horror. Started in 2013 and we've grown ever since. Well, that's pretty, <laughs> that was succinct. That's good. I'm sure you've been telling that story a fair bit lately. So, Ah, uh, yeah, the old elevator pitch. <laughs> so just so the listeners obviously know maybe what each role is in the business. Is it is it co-written material or is it illustrated by one of we you don't, guys? We don't write anything. We publish other writers. Okay. Uh, a good small press will not publish their own work. They'll publish other people's work as a commercial enterprise. Okay. Dawn is an editor and copy editor. Um, I do editing, layout, uh, internal book block layout. Um, I'm the main networker for most of the authors. I've had that network for 20 years now. And I'm a writer by trade as well prior to that. So I merged over from writing to publishing others. Okay. And Dawn, just so the listeners know, you're obviously the co-director of Cohesion Press, but do you have have any... For the lack of a better term, I guess creative jobs the same, or is just so we have some context on where everyone's coming from. It depends on which, oh, what do you call it, title or which call out we give. Okay, um, we usually have a discussion about what the next theme's going to be, what it's going to be sort of based around book title. We usually, with the the cover artist, the three of us usually say what sort of general thing is and. Yeah, so okay. I'm sort of a, a more in the background well, person. Just, I think anyone who's done anything creative, I think at any level, particularly we'll get into a, a level that's starting to accelerate, background workers, particularly good ones, are almost the most crucial thing in the operation a lot of the time. So. Oh, yes. And you're sounding rather awesome on that microphone too, Norm, which is ah. that's pleasant. It's a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so not all mics suit all people, believe it or not. Some, yeah, but you're sounding good. So... I guess we might as well just cut straight to it. Do you want to take us through maybe, well, let's go back two years approximately when things started to happen and then I guess we'll talk about the quote-unquote NDA that maybe you were <laughs> under and then maybe what's happened in the last few weeks because it's pretty, well, it's really impressive. I haven't heard anything quite like it, particularly locally ever. Yeah, it is a very unusual outcome for any small press, even any medium press. We started publishing a specific title of anthologies, Snafu, a series of military horror short story anthologies, which was what we always, what I always wanted to publish with Cohesion. And we released our first in 2014. And then in late 2016, I got an email from Zach Hardy, who is the personal assistant of Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool over in Hollywood saying that he wanted to put me into, or Tim wanted to get in touch with me to discuss something. And I thought, ah, it's just another one of those email scams. You know, you get, everyone gets those. The Nigerian prince. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A Nigerian prince, in this case, in Hollywood. 
So I did a bit of research and the email address matched and the information I could find on the website of Blur Studio, which is Tim's business, matched and I replied and it was Zach from Blur Studio and it was Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, who wanted to work with us. Incredible. So obviously, Jeff, you received the first bit of correspondence. Can you just t- take us through that first conversation with Dawn as to how you brought that up with her? And what was your feelings, Dawn? Were you like, you're getting scammed? Said, sorry, hey, sorry hey, honey, that's not happening. Hey, Dawn, <laughs> remember watching Deadpool? Yeah, I guess. Well, the director of it just contacted us. He wants to work with Cohesion. And it was me. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> In your defence, I think most people probably would have right at that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just that doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. Small presses who put out titles that sell well but not phenomenally well like the big five publishers don't get that sort of contact. It just doesn't happen, yet it did. Yeah, so there's – I know there has been a few articles and news stories lately, but can you talk us through the specifics of maybe what happened just after that period because that obviously was covered under – a non-disclosure. Can you talk about what what the expectations were of you guys and how things maybe rolled out? Was there a lot of communication? Did you actually have to verify these people were genuinely who they were? Oh, absolutely. I, I exchanged emails a number of times. I was given – I was told that at the same time that Netflix would be contacting me with contracts for – a number of stories that had been selected for an upcoming project that they were working on together, Tim Miller, David Fincher and Netflix. And sure enough, we were shopping in Wangaratta one day and the phone rang with a weird series of numbers on the screen and I answered it and, hello, I'm Zarin from Netflix in California. How are you? Jeez. I'm good, thank you. This is, yeah, this is really weird but cool but Desperately weird. Desperately looking at your phone, I've got five bars, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do not move. Don't lose reception. Sit down and hope nobody comes up to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow, that's just – and the – how far along in the background were the discussions – I mean, you might not have been privy to this, but Tim Miller, Netflix, and was it David Fincher? David Fincher. So an absolute murderer's row of, of genre storytelling. <laughs> How far along were their conversations about what they thought could happen with the properties you were representing and publishing? David and Tim had been working together for years. They knew each other quite well as far as I understand. They wanted to work on an anthology collection of animated shorts. They ever since they loved the old 80s heavy metal magazine that was then made into a movie of short story sort of things, and they wanted to redo that for this decade. And they went everywhere looking for somebody who would take that from them, and they found them in Netflix. They had already negotiated the series, they'd negotiated the first season, and they were at the process of looking for stories. Now, Tim was a big fan of ours. We didn't realise it until we were contacted, but he's read every snafu that we've put out and he loves the stories he actually gave us a quote that said when he first started reading the first book by the time he got to the third story in there he was so excited because he realized that in his words these guys got it they knew what made a good story and that our tastes were similar to his tastes in storytelling yeah incredible so the oh we won't get into the machinations of how all the deal works because it's probably a lot of numbers and a lot of boredom and probably not really <laughs> appropriate for an audio podcast. But as things moved forward, 
Was there a particular moment where you just thought, okay, this is the real deal? It was always surreal to me anyway. I never truly, I think, believed that it was going to happen and we were going to see animations of our stories on Netflix. I was involved to a large degree through the production of I was given access to work in progress for all of the stories in the in the series, not just our own, because I was actually also contracted to Tim to work with him, helping him select stories for season two from wow. all sorts of sources. I was paid, literally paid to read story collections by Tim Miller. Excellent. And <laughs> I saw all those. I saw our stories coming together, but it was still hard to believe. And I don't think I'll really truly believe it until March the 15th when it actually shows on, on Netflix. Yeah. And just so for the people listening, I don't normally go too much into the story of the mind stuff, but just seeing how genuinely happy you two are about everything that's mm. happening and you're not slightly jaded by the process or anything, it's unusual to get to succeed at any level in the thing that you specifically love to do or have interest in. Big comedians take radio jobs and get worn out doing morning radio. They don't always get to be famous stand-ups, well, at least in this country. If you're in a band, you generally have to shift your music slightly to suit a broader audience. You never get to make the record you want. And movies, they're never quite the movie once the studios had their way. Mm. But it sounds like you were so heavily involved that you were seeing step-by-step step how things were progressing and just judging by how happy you two come across, it is a good representation of the stories and they haven't been morphed too much. I mean, they've obviously probably been improved, but, you, you know, there's... Our writers are so damn good at what they do. We've yeah. got such strong relationships with the writers and we go through such a good editing program with such good editors that the stories were perfect for what Tim wanted. Yeah, there was not amazing. a lot of change in the end results. They wow. tell the story that we published. Well, well, you're obviously a good editor because you basically just summed up what I said in about 30 words there. <laughs> I tend, sorry, I, as regular listeners of all the shows I've ever done know, I tend to go re really down rabbit holes. So <laughs> it sometimes takes me a while to get there. Yeah, so maybe if we go back to, can we just talk a little bit about what it was like to not be able to talk about this? Like, Dawn, can oh. you take that one? Can You well, what, you must have been almost exploding to tell somebody. <laughs> For me, it was just like business as usual. We just get on with things. Yeah. But for Jeff being the main figurehead, it was really hard for him to bite his tongue and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we will talk a little bit about what you guys do day to day, which may give some more context to Dawn's comment there <laughs> about just getting on with things because you're also doing something that takes a fair lot of work running your own business. So, oh, yes, a yeah. lot of work. So I guess do you think, and maybe it's a good place to bring that in, we're inside one of the buildings where the asylum goes to us. Is, well, this is where it's run from. This is the yep. foyer where the tourists begin, yes. One of the famous ghost tours. I'd heard of it a thousand times living in Albury-Wodonga, which is, you know, 45 minutes away, and I'm sure everyone knows about it from the area. It's a huge operation from what I can tell. It is. It's one of the biggest, most renowned ghost tours companies in the country. Do you think having something of this scale on the side made, well, A, I'm assuming just the day-to-day -day running of a big operation would bring you back down to earth on occasion to, hey, this is real life still happening over here. <laughs> but also, do you think maybe for you, Dawn, was that a way to keep your focus on something that was 
also you know exciting and gratifying. Building the business is probably hard if you just got nothing else happening, not to tell people. Partly it's my personality as well. I'm a very logical step-by-step, I have to do this then. Okay. So I think it was easier for me to sort of, I can never say it, put it aside. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Put it aside and just work on day-to-day things. Yeah, that's that's a skill that I've never truly been able to master (laughs) myself. I tend to live in the future, so I don't know if, Jeff, you're the same as that, but every little thing that was happening about something that was going to happen would have, I would have exploded wanting to tell people. So. It was so hard. Yeah. So damn hard. Two years of not being able to talk about it. I actually feel a little naughty that we're talking about it now because we've had to stay quiet I was actually for gonna, so long. I was mm. gonna, that actually, it's strange you say that. I've got yeah. that on my note. So let's talk about, obviously, there's reasons why any studio wants things not to be spoken about because there's so much intellectual investment and financial investment and also if you've got something original happening you don't want the world to know about it until it's pretty much ready to go that's a very tightly controlled marketing program yeah so just day to day what was the communication like with okay it's looking like it's going to be x date or this is how far in the future potentially it will be ready to talk about did you have any insight into when that was going to happen they kept us in the dark across the board in that regard. We had no idea when it was going to be released. We had no idea when we could talk about it. The authors still can't talk about their individual stories, so they're still limited in what they can say on social media and in the news until three days after the series is released. Netflix want complete, utter 100% control over marketing because they know their marketing. They know what works. They know where to focus, and they want to have a, a control over everything that's spoken about up to three days after release date. Yeah, okay. So obviously, well, that probably means that the fact that you're able to talk about it more freely puts you in even a slightly more, I don't want to use the word privileged position, but it must be good to be able to finally. Yeah. Wait off, yes. <laughs> yeah, talk about it, be excited about it. And just with the authors, how much were they obviously you were publishing their work so to a certain degree you were the arbiters of taste when it came to their work and you were representing that did they have any creative input at any point or were they taking the finished story and then it was up to you to be that you know liaison on the story or however involved you were they was there there anything going back to the authors no no they they went through the editing process with us and then the final version of the story was published within the Snafu volume yep. it was contained in and those stories were bought as is and then um, Netflix and Blur Studio brought in screenwriters to adapt those to visuals. Yeah, so let's just talk about that. That's interesting before we move on maybe to talk about Asylum. When someone hears that they've purchased stories off Cohesion or licensed the stories, how they are represented in what do we call it? What what form would you say that your material comes out in graphic novel form or what, in, how do you describe it? Our publications. Yeah, your publications. They're anthologies of military horror short stories. Yeah, which is a pretty succinct title once again. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not screenplays though. No, no, they're short stories to be read. Yeah, so did you have any experience with what a screenplay was leading up to that? Did you know how something became a screenplay from source material or was that a... I had some idea. It's covered in the course that we both 
um, did a diploma in professional writing and editing, and I've actually adapted one of my own short stories for comic graphic novel format, which, while not the same, is similar yep. because it's a visual representation of a written story. Were they, I mean, we don't need to talk about who they brought in to do that, but did you have any recognition of the people that were put onto the project? I knew some of the names, most definitely. There's some big names involved. Yeah, because that must have been directors, exciting. <laughs> screenwriters, everything, actors. Yeah, I'm a, well, I'm a massive genre TV geek, so... In the world of movies, the writers are pushed well and truly down the pecking order, whereas in the world of television, they are king. Yes. Particularly if they're skilled at adapting source material, you know, because we all know that quite often, particularly in the movie world, source material can end up being mutated into something that's not representative by the time it's on the screen. So Very much so. So you must have been just pumping your fist when you saw Obviously, Netflix are the current kings. They are. They are the kings of new content. $1.5 billion spent on original yeah. content last financial year. Yeah, no, it's insane. <laughs> and to be putting out that much original stuff and for most of it to be good, I'm not sure many – maybe HBO can claim that, but they're obviously releasing so much less at any one time. Yeah, their strike rate is exceptional. Very much. So did you actually get at any point, uh, Jeff or Dawn, did you get to see how the screenplays – were progressing, like what they looked like in screenplay form, or was that? No, we just saw at more animation. Yeah, okay. So for someone that's sitting at home that doesn't know about animation, were we talking about maybe a storyboard or storyboards? Very early, rough early animation sketches. of the moving stories, but very basic imagery and such with direction written at the top left of the screen, like um, running. Footsteps heard here, things like that. That must have still been pretty good. <laughs> it was. So Love, Death and Robots was, in my research, that's the name of the, not just your part of the stories that you guys had licensed, but that's the entire project. That's the name of the graphic anthology series, yes. Yeah, that Netflix are producing. So do you have any insight into how many other story creators were brought onto the project beside yourselves, were they? There are 15 other stories apart from our three that are in season one. Yep. And we've sold rights to a fourth story already that was intended to be in season one, but for some reason it wasn't, and will be in season two if season two goes ahead. So please watch the show. Yes. So <laughs> I'll, I'll re-emphasize that. Love, Death and Robots when it comes out. So is there any idea of an actual official it hits Netflix globally date? March the 15th. Oh, March the 15th. Wow, okay. They're well, actually I, doing a countdown on Instagram, isn't it? Yes, 18 days of Love, okay. Death and Robots on Instagram. We might just move off that now. For, I mean, obviously, it's huge for the area too to know that there's creative people out there that are doing things on a global level. Like, it doesn't often happen. So, that's pretty, really impressive. So. It's really hard to sell visual rights for any written material, let alone short stories. So, yep. yeah, we feel really well represented in that. And I guess it's a bit of an avant-garde kind of move for Netflix to move into something that doesn't have like a place on streaming at the moment. There isn't really that type of storytelling on any of Amazon or any of the big networks. So they're doing something that hasn't happened on that kind of 
platform before. But isn't that Netflix? They take chances, they take risks and they experiment yeah. to find out what their viewers want and work from there. Yeah. That's why they're so successful. That is, yeah. Very creatively oriented as much as they're into their numbers. So, yeah, certainly, the, well, it's my favourite source of television at the moment. So we might just talk about Asylum Ghost Tours. People that are listening to this, generally this show, is the first podcast I've ever done that's locally oriented. So Wagga, Aubrey and Wangaratta are in a big circle. A lot of people would already know of us then. Yeah, so it's probably, well, they might not know that you guys are behind it, but it's probably <laughs> even more well-known than the publishing arm of the, mm, the business. I would say so, yes. So can you just take me through just a regular day and then we might just talk about the <laughs> specifics of how, you know, this particular room works or the tour itself, see where we get to, but... Normal day, we put out tours seven nights a week. We put out ghost tours, we put out paranormal investigations, which are long-term for ghost hunting with equipment. Yeah. And we just take people through this beautiful haunted place. Don't forget history tours and photography tours. History tours on weekends and photography tours for visual artists at any time. I've never actually done a ghost tour, but it's... It's something that I've always thought about doing, just I haven't really ever had a group of friends that have been particularly interested in the idea all at the same time. And now that I'm getting to know you guys, I probably will try one out. I'm not particularly a massive fan of being scared, <laughs> but I think this is an experience that would be interesting to have. So I've got a couple of things here, and this is just stuff off the Facebook page, and I thought this is very funny. So these are the names of th- three of your more popular videos. Scared shitless, language warning. <laughs> oh, God, what's behind me? <laughs> language warning. And my favourite, help. <laughs> so you get an idea of what's going on here. <laughs> that stuff's good stuff. Do you, <laughs> do you get people that on a daily basis, obviously, the point of the tour is, I'm assuming, is it to make what, – what are you going for with a ghost tour? Is it to make people uncomfortable? Is it to make them – terrified is it to give them chills is there anything that is a common experience for most people that take a ghost tour we put the tours out to teach and to give people an experience that they will remember yeah whether they sorry jeff when you say you're teaching people when dawn was saying that she's highly logical my brain kind of floats between two modes there's a creative me over here but i can also sink into really that real skeptic mode where i'm just highly logical so when you're saying you're trying to teach is it that you're teaching people that they're not as comfortable well, and as brave as they think they are? Or is it about actual history of the buildings? History, history of the buildings, history of mental health treatment, yeah. how beautiful this facility is and how scary it can be at night. <laughs> well, well, I turned up here and it's a really, let's just put it out there, it's a beautiful part of the world, but it's also a beautiful day outside. And as soon as we came in and a lot of the lights were off, <laughs> I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is not quite as nice as outside when it comes to the feeling that you have. So it must be an interesting experience to be on the other side as in the hosting role of seeing people that have different degrees of if I was in sceptical mode or you've, I'm sure you've got really sceptical people, I'm not scared of anything, what are you talking about, blah, blah, and they're probably really hard to deal with for the first two minutes until they pee their pants. So. <laughs> we pay our guides a bonus if somebody actually physically urinates as well. <laughs> that, that's a good incentive. It is. <laughs> so... Like, just getting back, what is the common experience for someone that takes an asylum ghost tour? Like, what, what do they come out at the other end telling you that as... I'm assuming it's not like watching... Like, just for people who've never been, it's not like watching a horror movie where you get to the end and you think, that's over. Like, what do they come out with? A lot of them are just 
so amazed at the architecture, for one. Okay. For saying it was built 151 years ago, it's still in great condition, but you've got little ornate, you know, banisters and the granite stairs and the um, lantern features like this one above yeah, us now. Yeah, it's amazing in here. Yeah, I might, um, if you guys are okay, I might get a little quick sweeping video of yeah. this to put with yeah, the podcast because, yeah. yeah, it's amazing in this room. Um, I think they're just so amazed because over in the old the building that looks really old and decrepit, it just wasn't reno- um, rendered with the rest. It's still got your original uh, 1860s ward system so people get to have a look at wow. what the reality really was back in those days. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, a lot of them are blown away with the history, but um, also some nights can be creepier than others. Okay, can you yeah. do, can you just describe one of those? What would what sets the scene when you turn up for work? How do you know that? Is it a certain kind of weather? Is it a certain? Is it the totally unpredictable full moon? Or is you it cannot predict? Just a certain group at a certain vibe it just takes off and it once the sun goes down it's always a different feel at this place every yeah. night of the week okay it's always different yeah it's never comfortable really for those especially for believers so i mean it's going to sound probably a little bit redundant given that I'm, i think have you been how long have you been doing this for i'll just start three check. years three years i knew it was multiple years do you ever just surprise yourself at getting a little bit creeped out Always. Oh, hell yeah. I have to go out and do those live feed videos <laughs> that you read the titles of. I'm out in those buildings by myself in the yeah. dark holding a phone up toward my face. I should have mentioned These aren't videos of the tours. These no. are like little, no. little, like little ghost hunt snippets. Little ghost hunt snippets, and they are actually pretty terrifying. So. Uh, yeah, you try being out there by yourself because I'm holding the phone up. Yeah. So Sorry, even though Jeff, I wouldn't the, be. The, the screen is light in my eyes, I can't see anything yeah, right. that's in front of me. Anything could be happen happening, and sometimes you can hear things happening. Yeah. Footsteps walking towards you. <laughs> <laughs> so, this might be me buffering myself against a future embarrassing moment where I just <laughs> run off and jump back in my car and drive away. But have you? Do you often, or have you ever had someone who just said, "No, nah, I'm out"? Regularly. Not that we want to, you know, make it a character trait of us on it or anything like that. But can you pick who might have trouble? It's nope. just. That's what I find most fascinating about the whole thing is that, to me, there's certain things in life that aren't dangerous but can bring you down to a base human level. And this seems like one of those things that would equalise a lot of people of different personalities into a certain level of fear. It's like all horror, really. It's like horror movies. It's like going on um, sideshows or the roller coasters. It's like reading a story. It's like going on a ghost tour. It's controlled fear. Yeah. You're putting yourself in a situation that renders you scared, but it's a controlled fear because you're not at any real risk. Yeah, and that can that can also be a circular thing of why am I so scared? Like there's there is no risk, but I'm I am scared, and then you can start think like that's how my brain works. <laughs> I think it's just the unknown. Yes, we've yeah. all got a fear of the unknown. I, I know watching certain things, and it's weird. I remember one instance of being incredibly terrified was that my favourite show growing up was Buffy the Vampire Slayer and there was a silent episode. And just these beings, they were just floating along the street outside a guy's house and he looks out the window and they just both turn their head and look at him. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Joss Whedon was doing original things in every episode back then, but I'm not sure there'd ever been a silent episode on TV during the period of TV when it had audio. It would have been at least 60 years. 
But I was thinking, why is that so scary? Nothing's happening. There's not even any music really to go along with this. It's dead silent. And that feeling came out of nowhere. <laughs> so we should be that's happening for everybody on these tours that regardless how they come in, they're all like... It's a matter of understanding how tension works. Yeah. And giving people the opportunity Because you're not just be... walking people through old buildings and that's not what's causing it. It's a certain way that... I mean, this place has a lot to do with it, but there must be a way to host to get the most out yeah, of the The fear. place talks for itself. We take people through, yeah. tell a few ghost stories and local myths and legends and a lot of the history, and the building does the rest for us. Thank yeah. you very much. Okay, I'm actually pushing time a little bit. So All good. Thank you so much for joining me. It's really amazing what's happening, and, yeah, I'll get this out, and then hopefully you'll get a few more ghost tours and some sell some sell some material and also have some more people watching Netflix. So what can people do on day one when it comes out? Watch, Watch the series. Yeah, Net Netflix has, and tell your friends how much you like it, yeah. and share on social media. So just lastly, before we go, Jeff, Dawn, are you guys waiting to day one to watch it yourselves? Oh, yeah, because it's not all animated by the one people. Oh, no, okay. a different animator, different director, different actors for every single episode. Wow. It's global, range, isn't yeah, it? Range, yeah, it is. It's global animators. There are Russians that have animated, you know, Russian companies that have animated some, European, other, North American, South American. It's across the globe. There are everything from 2D basic cartoons through to 3D CGI, ultra-realist. You couldn't tell the difference. Well, it's fantastic, and, mm. yeah, congratulations once again. Okay. Thank you for joining me on Punching Sideways. I was here with Jeff and Dawn from Cohesion Press and the Asylum Ghost Tours in Beechworth, Victoria. So, being a thank pleasure. you and yeah, good luck with the future with the Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Catch ya.